just a second. Uh, I wanted to do three things before we start, though, this morning. Uh, number one, uh, make sure you wish Maya and Arturo uh, just well wishes and prayers as they head off to college this week. Uh, Maya's right over here, and Arturo's over uh, in Spanish church this morning. And look them both up. Make sure you wish them well. I think they're both headed for college uh, Wednesday, Thursday of this week. And be praying they have a great semester. Number two, uh, as we get into September, September 3rd, 10th, 17th, 24th, all the Sundays in September, we're going to have our life group hour uh, right in here with everybody. And we're going to invite the whole church to come. Uh, we have taken a new approach to our next steps. Uh, next steps are such a powerful and important thing for our church. And yet we got to talking about this the other day. If we asked uh, how many of you know what all four of our next steps are? That there's only like two people who would know without cheat cheating, okay, without looking. Uh, and so we decided to rename them to make it easier. So here's the new names of the next steps, okay? 101, 201, 301, 401. Think you guys can remember that? All right. So all the next steps. So what's the first next step? One on one. You guys are so smart. Now, if I asked you what the title of it is, you'd have no idea. But one on one. So that's all you got to know. So class one on one is going to be in September during our 9:30 hour, and we're invite everybody to come. And it's about discovering what Centennial is, what our purpose is, uh, how we're trying to reach our community, and a, a very important month. And then as we go into October, uh, we're going to have 201. So we'll be telling you more about that. But I wanted to go ahead and let you know up front, give you a few weeks to plan for that as we get into September. So that's the second thing I wanted to talk to you about. The third thing I want to address before we start this morning is the atrocity that happened in Charlottesville, Virginia yesterday. Uh, a white nationalist from Ohio drove into a crowd of protesters at a white nationalist meeting, and uh, three have died so far, along with uh, some state patrolmen who died in a helicopter crash. And I just want to express to you, as your pastor, that hatred, bigotry, and racism are wrong in every single form they're found on the earth. It doesn't matter who does it, doesn't matter where they do it, if it's in Africa, if it's in India, if it's in Europe, it's wrong. And uh, we're sometimes quick to point out, boy, I tell you what, that, uh, that Muslim from Jordan who blew up people, that's horrible and that's wrong. And uh, I know that the news media tries to twist things and they're already trying to blame uh, this guy's actions on different people in politics. But I'll tell you this, we're all created equal. And every soul is just as valuable in the eyes of God, no matter what the race is, no matter what the origin is, and we would do well to remember that. And so spread, uh, spread some hope and spread some truth this week as people are facing some challenging things. I, I saw yesterday uh, in India, 30 kids in a hospital all lost their lives because of a dispute over a bill. Somebody didn't pay the bill, and so they turned the oxygen off at the hospital, and 30 kids perished. And yeah, there are big things going on all over the world. There uh, are churches that are being destroyed by ISIS this morning. 
uh, over in the Middle East. And yeah, thank God that we could come together and meet. But we need to be sober and serious about what it is that we do. We're in Hebrews 11 as we get started this morning. And last week we talked about the origin of Moses' faith, and we found out that he got his faith from his parents, his birth parents, and, and they helped to raise him in his very early formative years. And now we're going to see some of the decisions that Moses is making on his own. So today is the options for his faith in Hebrews 11, verse number 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Today, the options for his faith. Let's pray. Father, would you work in our midst this morning and help us to understand what our options for, uh, what our options are as we serve you. And I pray that you would uh, bless us in days to come with some of these young people who are, who are headed off to college and making big life decisions, that a message like this from your word would stick in their mind and become valuable for their future and for all of our futures. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I was on a plane several months ago, and I was killing time, and there was a movie that was showing called Lion. And it comes from the book A Long Way Home. It's about a, a boy named Saru. Uh, at only five years old, Saru Ryerly got lost on a train in India. Uh, he fell asleep on a train that was uh, not moving, and uh, when he fell asleep, it took off, and it took him thousands of kilometers from his home. He had no idea who he was. He was unable to read or write or recall the name of his hometown. He didn't even know his own last name. And he survived as a five-year-old boy alone for weeks on the rough streets of Calcutta before ultimately being transferred to an agency and adopted by a couple in Australia. And despite his gratitude for the kindness of his adopted family, Saru always wondered about where he had come from originally. He wondered about his family, who obviously thought he had been killed or kidnapped. As an adult, uh, this was about the time that Google Earth came into existence. Uh, he began to search Google Earth, and he searched for years because there are literally hundreds of thousands of villages in India, and he looked at satellite images and tried to find any landmark that he might recognize from when he was five years old. And one day on Google Earth, he was certain that he recognized the train station and the water tower of a little village in a part of India thousands of kilometers from Calcutta. And I'm not going to give the ending away, but I'll say this. Uh, Saru, he went, ended up going from Australia to India to try to find his family. And it's an incredible story of hope. Now, Saru didn't abandon his adopted family or disown their investment into his life. But if he had, that would be a little like the story of the man we're talking about today. Moses. 
God reveals to us that Moses basically gave up his Egyptian rights. He gave up his Egyptian citizenship. Uh, God designed Moses to grow up in the privilege of the palace, to receive the best education and the best care available, to have a status where he would be able uh, to lead the Israelites out of their bondage in Egypt. But that upbringing left Moses with some options that would drive him to make some very difficult decisions in his life. And we're going to see it as we go through it this morning here in Hebrews 11. We say this, first of all, Moses had to refuse. Moses had to refuse. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. There was something that he had to refuse. Now imagine you're plucked from obscurity, from poverty, from slavery, and adopted into the family of the Pharaoh. And you're part of the accepted crowd with the finest clothes uh, covered in pure gold with your own servants and your own chariots. You can do anything you want to do. And yet there's something missing in your soul. There's something that won't leave you alone. And you know deep inside that you don't belong. The option you have is, is to live the status quo that's expected of you or to refuse being identified with the family of Pharaoh, to abandon all the privileges that you've gained by being the son of the king's daughter. If you're going to live by faith, there are things that you must refuse. Over the years, it's been interesting to watch uh, as certain celebrities and people who are famous, uh, for me, this has been happening for 40, 40 years, uh, as long as my memory goes back anyway. Uh, my first presidential election that I really remember was 1980, and uh, we lived in Springfield, Missouri, and my dad took us uh, out to the airport and uh, we got to see uh, the president, Jimmy Carter. And uh, he was uh, walking the rope line. And I was about from here to Sister Flo, away from him, trying to weasel my way through the crowd. And I weighed about 50 pounds. You know, I'm an eight-year-old. And I got close enough where I had a memory. And my memory was that he had yellow teeth. <laughs> That's the only thing I really remember. Uh, peanut farmer become president. And uh, later that summer, my dad took me to the fairgrounds there in the county, and uh, in came this former actor named Ronald Reagan and stood on the stage and wowed everybody, and he ended up becoming president. And there were people, celebrities, even back then, who said, if Reagan becomes president, I'm going to renounce my citizenship. Right? And, and then uh, you go a little bit further, and you get to 1988 and Bush, and, uh, and then you get further, and it just seems like with every election, no matter which side's winning or losing, that there are people who say, if this person wins, I'm going to renounce my citizenship. And what's even more interesting is that about 99.9% .9 of them never do, because this is the greatest country on God's green earth. Uh, but, you know, Moses did. Moses renounced not only becoming the king, he renounced not only becoming uh, ultra-famous, 
and ultra-powerful in Egypt, he said, I'm not even going to consider myself the king's daughter. He refused. And there are things that we have to refuse. Genesis 39 tells us that Joseph refused the advances of his boss's wife, even though that option left him falsely imprisoned for years. In Esther, the, the book begins with Queen Vashti refusing the carnal decree of the king, even though the option left her without a crown. Daniel refused to eat the king's meat and drink the king's wine, trusting that God would make him healthier without them. The Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's giant idol, even though the option left them in a fiery furnace. You know, sometimes when we refuse things that we know are against God's will for our lives, we face even greater difficulty by refusing. And that's what Scripture seems to indicate to us. There are two things that we know up front that we need to refuse. We need to know that to refuse blatant sinfulness. And it's very clear. You know, when there's something that's blatantly wrong around us, we refuse that. And as believers, if we have any type of walk with God, that seems to be the easier one for us. Right? If somebody walks up to me on the street and says, you know what, here's a brick of cocaine, I want you to go sell it. All right, that's pretty easy for me. I'm just going to say, no, go away. Yeah, or you need Jesus or something. Let's try to be, put it in the right spin. I don't know how we would say it. Yeah, but if there's blatant sinfulness, hopefully we know right away to refuse. Here's the second thing, though. We need to refuse good things that aren't the best thing. Here's where we get tricked. Most Christians don't get sidetracked by blatant bad things, by these overt bad things. Most Christians have their life purpose get thrown off course by good things that just aren't the best thing. And it may be that you're going to have to abandon some good things in your life so you can live out God's purpose for you. There are many privileges that you're going to be offered uh, to entice you to join the status quo. If you're a child of God, that should make you uneasy. It should make you remember that there's something more important, and you might have to refuse some of those things. You know, there uh, are so many different facets of life where somebody paints you this picture that this is the most important thing. Right? Sometimes you go into a new workplace and they tell you this is the most important job and the culture here is like this. And, and sometimes you go into a, some type of a, a charity or some type of a civic club and, and they say they're really important and, and, a, and you get locked into these things that feel important, where your emotions are tied to it. And we talked in our life group today about artificial emergencies. I hear so many people say, I have so many things on my plate. And I, what I sometimes want to say is, make a list of all the things you have on your plate and tell me how many of them you put there. Because most of the stress that we have on our time schedule is created by things that we actually put there. Right? Like, I have to go golfing. 
have to go golfing on Thursday. If I don't go golfing on Thursday, my buddy's going to be upset with me. It's an emergency. It's a crisis. Right? There's only a couple guys who have that emergency in here. Uh, and boy, I have to go to this restaurant, and I have to go to the coffee shop, and I've got to do this. And we get so many things, and most of them we put there. Do you know, uh, there was a wise preacher years and years ago, and maybe you've heard of him before. His name was Bob Jones Sr. Yeah, Brother Ben knows who this guy is. He went to his university, Bob Jones University in South Carolina. Bob Jones Sr. said this. It's a great quote. Duties never conflict. Duties never conflict. If you are in one of these artificial emergencies, you're going to feel crisis over something that's not real. And what you have to do is make that list and start rejecting some things. You have to say, you know what? Life didn't hand me this one. Uh, God didn't hand me this one. I handed myself this one. I'm the one who put the importance on this one. And so I've got to cast that one out. And if we do that with our time, another area we have to do it is our finances. People become stressed in their finances because they've made decisions to add things to their plate. They've made decisions to add things to their own economy. And, and Jesus said, if you have food and raiment and shelter, you should be content. And sometimes we add more than that, and then we say, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. That's because you've added too many bills to yourself. So artificial emergencies... We have to learn to reject because they're good things that aren't the best thing. Moses had to reject. But then I want to see this one. Moses had to choose. And we go back to Hebrews 11 for this. Verse number 25, one of the most powerful verses anywhere in Scripture. If you've never underlined this verse or memorized it, you should do both. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses, uh, it's indicated in the Old Testament, he lived to be 120 years old. And at this time in his life, he's a 40-year-old. He's considered a young man, okay? And in many ways, 40-year-olds are still considered young men, except in the sport of tennis. Then you'd be considered like a grandfather, okay? Isn't it amazing how in different things, uh, like in a gymnastics, they get a young lady who's like 21 and they say she's very old. Yeah. But in golf, you know, if you're like 45, then you still got a shot to win the majors. Uh, and in politics, if you're less than 65, you're a baby. Okay, so, so age is kind of relative. But Moses is 40 years old, and that would kind of correlate to someone who's around 25 years old. In, in our modern society. And I'm sure that Egypt had the best of the best when it came to living the world, worldly life. After all, Egypt, if you didn't know this, Egypt is always a type of the world. Anytime it's found in Scripture, you can take Egypt and it's a type of the world around us, the cosmos, the, uh, all of the lusts that we deal with. And Moses could have tried that. He could have tried all the things that Solomon ended up trying. Pleasure and thrills and wine and women and architecture and gardening and 
and of farming and wealth, whatever his eyes desired, he could likely have had. But he came upon this crucial option that changed the course of his life. Young Moses willingly chose unlimited affliction with the people of God over the temporary pleasure that Egypt had to offer. Check that again. He chose unlimited affliction. He knew that it was going to be rough. He was joining up with a team of slaves. Don't even know how much it's going to cost him. Don't even know how much it's going to hurt. And he did that over all of the treasures and the pleasures of Egypt. The wording in Hebrews 11 says it so well for us to understand the end of the verse there. The pleasures of sin for a season. Sin can be really fun, but it's temporary fun. And then you have to reap. And then you have to pay the piper. And then you have to see the results, receive the results of your poor choices. Our little Sophie is starting to understand choices. Yeah, the other night she had a little bowl of popcorn for a snack. And the dog, Bella, knocked it out of her hand and devoured the popcorn. And she was really upset. And when she said her prayers that night, she said, Jesus, help Bella to make good choices about my popcorn. That's a good prayer. Help Bella to make good choices about my popcorn. Now, some people, though, claim to be as helpless as Bella when it comes to the lusts of our flesh. I just couldn't help myself. I acted like I'm an animal. I acted like I have no self-control. I acted like I don't have Jesus Christ in my life to deliver me from temptation. Why don't you just say I'm a helpless foolish animal. Instead, you could make the choice to rely on God. And Moses did that. He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. As you mature in life, age sometimes has little to do with maturity. And you begin to understand the price you will pay for your choices. Fools don't consider what the cost of their choices will be. They just go ahead and pile on the pleasure. Now, there are teenage fools. Uh, usually teenagers get more categorized in this area than anybody else. Sorry, teenagers, if you're a teenager. Do you know there's 20-something fools, too? A lot of them that still live in mom's basement and play Xbox till 4 in the morning and then get up and go eat mom's cornflakes. Okay, uh, there's 30-something uh, fools. There's 40-something fools. We could keep on going. There's people who are still foolish, and they're 70 years old. Any 70-year-old who rides a scooter out in the community, that's foolish. Right? It's just not a good decision. Uh, right now, uh, we have uh, Sunday night's Financial Feast University. Such a great course. And Dave Ramsey is reminding us to look at the cost of decisions before you buy that car. Before you buy that four-wheeler or that snowmobile. You know, many believers in Jesus Christ 
uh, don't give their tithes to God because they're giving their tithes to some bank for a vehicle. And if you're in that situation, you don't have to deal with me. Uh, I don't have any idea what people give here at the church. Uh, I've made a decision years and years ago, and I'm going to leave that one up to God. But you do have to deal with God on this. And uh, choices have repercussions. And I'll tell you this. Uh, when we were first married, yeah, we lived in Dallas, and, and uh, we had been kind of sporadic in our giving. And, uh, and then we moved to Denver, Colorado to, to work in a church. And the first few months we were there, we just had made some horrible financial decisions, and we had bills coming out of our ears, and we were behind on uh, credit cards and utilities. And uh, we didn't just, it wasn't we on purpose said, God, we're not going to pay our tithe this month. We just kind of, it just slipped through the cracks. We just forgot because we were paying all this other stuff and trying to stay afloat. And uh, we, it snowed in Denver, and it was icy. And I drove into our apartment complex, and it was straight ice. And my wife still to this day thinks I did it on purpose because I'd do crazy stuff in the snow just to have fun, you know, just to do some, just, you know, you know how guys are. <clears throat> if you've ever been with a guy in our church parking lot when it's icy, that's what it's like, okay? Uh, but this particular time I happened to slide straight into a curb. And uh, we had to buy the entire rim. We had to buy a, a tire. And you know what? It cost us a lot. And we got together that night after we had to pay all that stuff, and here's what we decided. We're never missing giving again. It's just not going to happen. Because if we miss it, God still gets it somehow. Right? Because he owns everything. He owns the brake shop where we had to go. He owns the tire shop where we had to go. He owns it all. And God always gets his. And that was a great decision that we made back then. You know, Moses had to choose something. But then this next one is so important. Don't miss this one. Moses had to esteem. He had to esteem. E-S-T-E-E-M. Look at verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. To make his choice, Moses had an internal value system that placed association with God in the highest place. He put association with God in the highest place of his values system. Jesus warned his disciples, if you come after me, you have to deny yourself. You're going to have to give up some things. Oh, and you'll be hated of all men for my name's sake. There are people who claim to have trusted Christ inside of themselves, but they've never told anyone. They're keeping it hidden until the day of judgment. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 10. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men... Him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. And if you're too ashamed to call Jesus your Lord, he's not really your Lord. 
There are people who have never taken the first step of obedience since trusting Christ. They've never been baptized after salvation. Uh, the only method that the Bible speaks of is after salvation. And if you're too ashamed to identify with Jesus in baptism, you can never grow any further than being a Christian infant. You know, Moses was willing to associate with God, no matter what that cost him. That's huge. He said, it doesn't matter what it costs, I'm going with the people of God. That's a great decision in life. It's a great decision to be loyal to God and to be loyal to God's family. The new press secretary for the President of the United States is a lady named Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And the, the New York Times made fun of her this week in an article. Here's what they said. They made fun of her in their article. President Trump's new press secretary is an evangelical who reads a Christian devotional before news briefings. <laughs> and I just thought it was hilarious. They made fun of the fact that she believes in Jesus and that she reads a Christian devotional before she goes out and does news briefings. You know, that's unacceptable in the progressive world to be a Christian. To vocally and publicly say, I believe in Jesus, it is basically one of the most forbidden things you can do anymore. And then on top of that to say, I actually read a Christian devotional so that I can live the right way. So that when I come out and do the press briefing, I won't cuss at all the reporters who are mocking me. You know, maybe you should try it. Maybe we should get some of them to try reading some Christian devotionals so that they can do less mocking and upbraiding. Here's the, the uncanny thing, though, of 2017. If the president had chosen a transgender person to be his press secretary, progressives would have cheered. But Christians need to be made fun of on a regular basis. At any given opportunity, they need to be put in their place. If you're going to identify with Christ, you are not signing up for the easy life now. But your value system is going to lead you to eternal rewards. And if you take the option of acting like you don't know Jesus... That's also going to give you some eternal rewards, but in a literal place called hell. What makes people so afraid to identify as a child of God, as a blood-bought, born-again Christian? You know, they don't want to be looked down on by the world. They're worried about what the Egyptians will think. And Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ as a higher value than the acceptance and riches of Egypt. And he came to a point where he said, in my value system, the thoughts of the Egyptians don't matter. The thoughts of the world don't matter. <clears throat> you know, when you make decisions in life, you make big decisions in your life, there are some people you should listen to. The Bible says in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. You know who some of the people... You, who should listen to people who love God 
That's number one. You should always listen to people who love God. The second thing is you should listen to people who actually love you, who have your best interests in mind. So many people, they listen to people because somebody told them something on Facebook. Listen to the people who actually are in your life who love you and who love God and who love the local church. And if you keep those three things at the top of who you'll listen to, you probably aren't going to steer yourself in the wrong direction. A lot of times we listen to people who have no idea about God. It's like listening to a marriage counselor who's been divorced four times. Right? It's like listening to a child psychologist about raising your children who never had any kids. It doesn't even make any sense. Listen to somebody who loves you and loves God and loves the local church and you're going to end up on the right path. You have to have the value system that esteems Christ highly. Moses did. Last one. Verse 27. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses had to forsake. Now, if you've ever read the account of Moses' early life in Exodus 2, you know that he went out of the palace to check on his Hebrew brothers. And while he was out there, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And he looked around to see if anybody was watching, and he took the guy out, like all the way out. And then he hid his body in the sand. At that moment, after his initial entry into the public view, Moses could have easily retreated from his plans and returned to the palace. He could have easily gone back to the palace. He had the credibility as one of the princes of Egypt to have easily made up a story and said, you know what, I saw a Hebrew guy kill an Egyptian and hide his body in the sand. He could have made it up. Nobody would have been the wiser. Nobody would have cared. But you know, Moses was made for more than that. And so he went out again the next day. And the story had already become a part of Hebrew folklore because there was somebody standing up for Hebrew slaves. And so when he tried to get two Hebrews to stop arguing and fighting with each other, they let him know that the story was out. And sure enough, it was too late for damage control. Pharaoh found out about it. And Moses ran to Midian, completely forsaking Egypt. Now there are some things that you forsake because you choose to forsake them. There are some things that you forsake because God makes the forsake door the only one that's available. Sometimes God brings you to a point in your life, a crisis, where the forsake door is the only one. If you're a child of God, I'll tell you this, if you really are a child of God and you go onto the path of sin for your life, please know this. Jesus will keep coming after you and after you and after you and after you. You're one of his children. You're one of his sheep who's lost their way. He will not stop coming after you. Your life will be so miserable until you choose the door that he has for you that says forsake. Get out of here. You know the most miserable people that I know on this earth? 
backslidden Christians. There's some miserable lost people too, but the most miserable people I know are backslidden Christians who are trying to run from God, and you can't outrun him. You can't. He's everywhere. And he's going to keep tapping at your heart's door because he loves you and he wants you back. And Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin. That's sort of how it was for Moses, though. God wanted him out of Egypt for a while. So yeah, Moses, uh, he made this decision to break up this fight and ended up killing the Egyptian. But I tell you this, God wanted him out of Egypt for a while. God wanted to put Moses, we're going to see this next week, God wanted to put Moses through the university of the wilderness. Now, you thought university was hard here for four years? Moses' university was for 40 years. On the backside of the desert, God is going to prepare him to lead the Jews out of Egypt. And put yourself in Moses' sandals for a minute as he chooses that forsake door and he leaves Egypt behind and put yourself, think just like he thought now, He's 40 years old, and he thought that he had ruined his life. That's what he thought. He thought that not only had he given up the opportunity to go back to Pharaoh's house, now he had given up the opportunity to reunite with the Hebrew family. He didn't think he had any options. He thought, goodness gracious, my life's ruined and wasted. And that's why he settled for being a shepherd on the backside of the desert for 40 years because he thought there was nothing better. And it was all part of God's plan for his life. And what's going on in your life right now is all part of God's plan. Listen to me. God never, if you're one of his children, God never wastes a trial in your life. Even if it was a trial that came from your own bad choices. He works all things together for good to those who love him. All things. Even the things that came from your horrible choice. Even the things that came from somebody hurting you when you didn't ask for it. Even the things that we can't talk about in church because they're so horrific that have been done to people in this room. He works all things together for good to those who love him. God's not going to waste a tragedy in your life. He always turns it to triumph. And as Moses left Egypt, he had this burden. This is it. I've messed up. I can tell you up front that when you decide to follow God's will for your life, there are going to be times when you feel like you're in no man's land. You feel like you have no good options. You're going to feel like you've been abandoned. David ran for his life in the wilderness for years when Saul was trying to kill him. Elijah lived by a brook and was fed by scavenger birds. Jeremiah was tossed into a dungeon where he sunk up to his armpits in muck and mire. John the Baptist ate locusts and wild honey. And he was disliked by both the heathen and the religious. And it didn't get better for him. It got worse. Herod had him beheaded during a birthday party. 
the option of living by faith does not get easier as you go. It often gets harder as you go. I hear people say, well, if you really just put your trust in Christ, things will get easier. A lot of of times they'll get harder. But as they get harder, Jesus gets bigger. As they get harder, God has more of the reins of your life. God has more control over who you are and what you do. And here we have this powerful, powerful time as Moses leaves and heads out in the wilderness. I think of Paul. Paul was suffering. He had a difficulty in his body that he had been asking God to heal. And many, many scholars think it's his eyesight. They didn't have spectacles back then because Benjamin Franklin had not come along yet. And, and, and so uh, Paul likely couldn't see, and he had asked God, he had begged God three times. Some scholars think he had myopia. And he couldn't see, and he loved to read, and he loved to teach, and there was no answer. And then Jesus gave him an answer back. And I want you to see this as we close today. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you've ever gone through a hard time in your life, if you're going through a hard time right now, it's a great passage for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul had asked God three times, God, please, could you get rid of this? Look at verse number 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's what Jesus said to him. In fact, if you have a red letter Bible, you have the words of Jesus in red right there. Now look what Paul said back. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Can you imagine this? Paul says, okay, here's what I decided to do. When things are going bad for me, woohoo! That's great. I'm going to glory in my infirmities. Every time when I try to squint and I can't read the scroll and I can't write letters to the churches that I love, I'm going to say, Jesus, this is so good. That's what he decided to do. And it gets better. I love this as it keeps going. It says that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse number 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Don't miss the end of verse 10. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. When I'm weak in my flesh, Jesus can be strong in me. And Paul gives us this great picture of what it's like to live for God. If the Lord leads you to forsake something in your life, it may not lead to an easier life, but it will lead to God's glory. And it would be 40 years before Moses returned to the Egypt he had just forsaken, but it all would be for God's glory. Let me hit you with today's big truth. Faith requires an initial choice, along with many follow-up choices. 
Faith requires an initial choice along with many follow-up choices. To be a Christian requires saving faith, to trust in the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. But you'll need more faith than that to move forward. Now you're going to need faith in the security that Jesus has truly given you eternal life. You're going to need faith for the service God has called you to do. And you're especially going to need faith for the storms that you go through in following him. There are a multitude of follow-up choices where you choose God's will again and again and again. In fact, in the model of prayer, Jesus said we are choosing God's will every day. Every day. Thy will be done. Every day we're choosing God's will. That's what faith really is. Here's today's faith challenge. Are you willing to choose suffering inside of God's will over the fading pleasures that this world has to offer? Are you willing to choose suffering inside of God's will over pleasure outside of God's will? And if you are, God has a purpose for you that is far beyond what you can comprehend. You will never regret suffering for Jesus. Even if you aren't ready to choose God's will, your path is going to lead to emptiness. Because all of the pleasures that you choose instead of Jesus are vanity. They only end with regret. So Moses had some options for his faith. He had to refuse something. He had to choose something. He had to esteem what was valuable. And he had to forsake Egypt for God's will. And so the question that we leave you with today is, where's your faith? Jesus asked his disciples one night, he said, where is your faith? And he asked them that because they had just gone out onto the sea and he had fallen asleep. And in the third watch of the night, at about three in the morning, there was a massive storm on the Sea of Galilee, and the waves were so large that they were about to capsize the boat. And they woke him up in the middle of the night, and they said, Jesus, you got to wake up. We're about to die. And he woke up, and he said, Where is your faith? And if you're going through a storm right now, Jesus is saying to you, where's your faith? See, if you believe that your checking account is what saves the day, you may be in trouble right now. If you believe that doctors are the ones who have everything figured out, you may be in trouble right now. If you believe that you can salvage something on your own by your own strength and you can do that job on your own, or you can raise those kids on your own. Let me tell you, you need faith. And then you need follow-up faith. And then you need follow-up faith to your follow-up faith. God's got a plan for every person in this room. Let's bow together.